The Old Testament reading is Genesis 1, verses 26 through 28, and you can find it on page 1 in the Papal Bible. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his image. In the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Well, today uh, we are starting a new series. We are starting a short series on money. As you know, we are Christ the King, a church with eight different congregations all around the city, and we are always preaching on the same stuff. And so when this subject came up, um, I'll be honest, I was a little bit hesitant. I wasn't totally thrilled about having to preach on money for a few weeks. And that is because I have been raised to despise sermons on money. Um, growing up, we went to church occasionally. And on, occasionally, my father would join us, but not usually. Um, one of the reasons why he didn't typically come to church, one of the things he cited was that he believed that pastors just wanted his money. And ever since then, ever since we picked this topic, that his voice has been in the back of my head as I've been preparing this sermon. Because, you know, he's not totally wrong. It's not wrong for him to feel that way. Uh, somebody just told me this week that they visited a church service and they passed the offering plate four different times during the service. And, of course, we all know the, the horror stories of the, the pastors with the multi-million dollar private jets and mansions and all that kind of stuff. And so I'm nervous. I'm nervous about preaching the series because I don't want you to think that this is a shakedown. But it's not. And after studying this a little bit this week, um, I am convinced that this is something we need to preach. This is a topic that we have neglected for way too long in our congregation. And it's something we desperately need to hear what the Bible has to say about it and to reorient our lives and all of our thinking around money. Um, honestly, this last week I've probably been more convicted of sin uh, and more encouraged by the Word of God during my sermon prep than I have been in a long time. And I hope that you're going to feel the same way after we go through this this morning. Um, so let me just begin. I'll, I'm just going to set it out there for you. I don't want to control your money. <laughs> That's not why we're here. I don't want to control your money, but... I don't want your money to control you either. I want you to become the people that God has created you to be. I want you to be a people who are free from the tyranny of materialism in our culture. I want you and I to be people who operate as stewards of God's good creation. And so that's where we're starting. Because money is a thing, but it's in a much bigger category. This category of following Jesus called stewardship. And stewardship uh, is, is the lens we're going we're gonna to start this series looking through. Because I'm not really interested today in the details of, 
of tithing and, or income percentages or any of that stuff. Today, I want us to open up to the passage Manny just read, to Genesis chapter 1, and see how God has designed and arranged this world. How he has shaped us and our relationship to everything in it. So today we're going to look at Genesis 1 through the lens of stewardship, and we're going to see first the mandate of stewardship, the challenge of stewardship, and the freedom of stewardship. The mandate, the challenge, and the freedom of stewardship. So let's first, let's talk about the mandate. Genesis 1. You've probably read that far into the Bible, right? Page 1. Uh, Genesis 1, you might recall, it tells the story of creation. God creates each different element of the world, and after each one, he makes a declaration. He says, and then God created this, and he said that it was what? Good. Right? You remember. Okay, great. He, it was good. Now, you might take that for granted. That may not strike you as anything special, but do you know that statement makes Christianity unique? Other Western religions, they place their hope in this kind of ephemeral, spiritual realm where we leave all of the physical, tangible things behind. And Eastern religions, similarly, they, they tell the, the teacher that the world is sort of illusion to overcome. That the, the most spiritual people are the people who depend least, who interact least with the world around us. Uh, a few years ago, I read the story of this uh, statue of Buddha that they found that had a mummy inside of it. Did anybody happen to see this? It was, a, it was kind of one of those random pop-up in your newsfeed stories. Um, but somebody bought this statue at an auction and something about it seemed strange and they, they brought in this whole team of different kinds of scientists to analyze it and they discovered that inside of the statue was a human mummy. And as they did tests on the mummy inside, they found out that, that what this was was a Buddhist monk who had performed one of the greatest acts of spiritual devotion called self-mummification. And so if you read the article, it tells you the, 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 how somebody might go about doing this to themselves. But basically, he deprived himself of everything. And in the last weeks of his life, he would have started, he would have stopped eating food and only drank water until eventually he went into a trance, stopped breathing, and died. Basically, he starved himself to death in this praying position and stayed in that position for, for decades. And eventually, when he started to get a little flimsy, they put him inside of the statue to give him some extra support. Now, for some views of the world, though, that is the ideal. That is the spiritual ideal, learning that you don't need anything on this earth. But that is the exact opposite of what the Bible teaches about the world. The Bible says the way that we are supposed to respond to the world is to know that the world is good. That God made it. That he made everything in it. And that he has placed us, his people, in it to be stewards. That's the key word, stewards. But what does that mean? What is it? To be a steward. Well, open up your Bibles if you've got them. Um, if you don't have a Bible, please take one of these ones, uh, one of the blue ones home with you. That's our gift to you. But verse 26, it tells us, and God blessed them. Uh, sorry, verse 26, it said, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our own likeness. And let's stop right there. There is dense stuff in that one line, and we aren't going to be able to unpack all of it today. 
What I want you to know, the basic truth we need to glean from it this morning is that being made in the image of God means that human beings are unlike the rest of creation. In Genesis 1, as all the animals, as the birds, as the fish are being created, it says that God created them according to their kinds. But when God gets to creating human beings, it says he makes them in his own image. Now, there are other texts around the time of the Bible that use that same terminology, being in the image of God. Um, but do you know that in those other ancient Near Eastern texts, time and time again, when it uses the word image of God, it's referring to one specific person. It refers to the king. In the ancient world, the idea of being the image of God, it meant that you were functioning as a ruler in the place of whatever deity it was that you worship. So in these pagan cultures, they saw that the king was a ruler who ruled in the place of their local deity. And so this biblical perspective is actually pretty radical. It's kind of turning the world upside down already in Genesis chapter 1 because it says that being in the image of God is not only a privilege for the king and the king alone, but it is true for everyone in the world. One scholar, he says, this text is saying that the exercise of royal dominion over the earth, uh, that, that we are supposed to exercise royal dominion over the earth as God's representative. That is the basic purpose of men and women. In other words, we're all representatives of God. We are all representatives of the true king. We all have royal dominion. He, he goes on, he says, man is appointed king over creation, responsible to God, the ultimate king, and as such, he is expected to manage, develop, and care for creation. So, do you hear what it's saying? This one line is telling us that we are given real authority on earth. We are given a real purpose on earth. This isn't like a a Dwight Schrute kind of situation. It's not the assistant to the regional manager thing. It is actually ruling. He made us in the image of God to manage, develop, and care for all of creation. Or the word in our passage, in verse 28, it says, that what, what does he tell us to do? He says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Subdue. That's the word I want to draw your attention to. When I think of the word subdue, I think of that moment in The Princess Bride, you know, when the heroes fight Andre the Giant. Does anybody remember this? Andre the Giant's like seven foot five, and he just gets him in a chokehold and is like flopping around on his back while Andre the Giant slowly walks around the room and then eventually loses air and kind of falls flat on his face. That's what I think about when I think of subduing. It's this kind of vaguely violent idea, right? Subduing something. But that's not what God means. God's intention for the world is actually, when he tells us to subdue it, is actually shown pretty clearly on the other side of our Bibles. Maybe somewhere close to the last page. Maybe the very last page of those paperback Bibles, I don't know. But it's Revelation 21. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. 
And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. That is God's plan for all of creation. That's his plan now, and it was also his plan then. The world ends in a heavenly city with God at the center. And so when God tells human beings to subdue, what he means is he wants us to take the raw materials of the world and cultivate them. He wants us to bring order out of the chaos. He wants us to turn the Garden of Eden into the city of God. One pastor, he said, he said it this way. He said, God put us in the world to be farmer gardeners. So that means on one hand, we did, we're not here like real estate developers who buy a property and aren't concerned with it and just bulldoze the place recklessly. But we're also not here like park rangers who are there just to guard the place as it is and, and try to make uh, no changes at all. Subdue. It doesn't mean conquer. It doesn't mean to conquer the world for your own gain, but it means to cultivate the world for the glory of God. That's stewardship. Cultivating the world for the glory of God. So stewardship, it means that, that we are like the king because we have power. We have authority. We can develop. We can change creation. But we're not the king. The world does not ultimately belong to us. Do you understand? God doesn't give us ownership of creation just because he leaves it in our hands. Instead, he makes us stewards. We're in charge, but we're not sovereign. We answer to someone. We are both rulers and servants. That's the mandate of stewardship. So, now let's talk about some of the challenges of stewardship. What are the challenges of stewardship? In Christian circles, if you have been around for a stewardship discussion, if you've been around the church, you probably recognize this word because it's Christian code, right? Stewardship is our code word for tithing. That's the word we use to talk about giving money to the church. But as we have already seen, it's much bigger than that. Stewardship is a much bigger idea than just giving your money. It is about a God-centered orientation to everything that you have. Stewardship acknowledges that everything you have has been given to you. And that includes your money, right? It includes your possession, but it's much more than that. It's everything we have. Everything we have is given by God. Our abilities, our time, even the breath in your lungs this moment, waking up today, those are things that God has given you. They don't originate with you. And since nothing is rightfully ours, that means we are meant to serve God's purposes with every single thing we have, even including your very life. Psalm 24, 
It says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So the earth is the Lord's. Everything in it belongs to the Lord. And it says, the world and all those who dwell therein. The earth, everything in it, and all the people in it. That's what the Bible teaches. That is what the people of God profess. You know what? If you believe that, if you believe that everything on earth and all the people on earth belong to God, just say amen. Amen. You affirm it, right? And yet, it is impossible. Most surveys say, most statistical data shows that it is impossible to discover any broadly visible difference between the way professing Christians use their resources and the way everybody else does. Did you know that? With our money, the average American gives away about 2% of their money to charity every year. The average Christian gives around 2.4%. With our idea of living on a mission, uh, Tim Keller, who's a pastor in New York, he says that Americans virtually never live in a neighborhood deliberately. They virtually never live in a place simply to help a neighborhood thrive. Instead, they live where their own comfort, where their own culture, where their own economic value, or where their status is best served. And Christians are no different. Is that strange? That Christians are no more likely to live with a sense of mission than the average American. Why is that? Well, have you, uh, have you got, I'm sure you guys have seen Lord of the Rings or read the books or something. If you haven't, it's, I'm just, I'm going to tell you something from the books. Um, there is a character in that story uh, who is the steward of Gondor. And in this uh, tale, Gondor is the most important city. It's the capital city uh, on, in this land where they live. And he is the steward, but he's not the king. He and his family have been ruling over this city for 25 generations, waiting for the true king to return, waiting for someone from the, the kingly line to come and reclaim his throne. And if you've seen the movie before, you know that um, the, the throne in Gondor is this big marble throne that sits on top of these marble stairs. But the steward, he doesn't sit in the throne. He sits in a very simple chair at the foot of the stairs. It's this visible sign, this constant reminder that even though he's in charge, he's not really the king. But this particular character who shows up in the book is a man who believes that all hope is lost. The book finds him at a point where he is despairing, where he is certain that the enemy is going to win and that the king will never return. And the more that bleeds into his life, those actions... His, his heart slowly starts to dictate his actions, and eventually that thought destroys him. And you know, I think that our actions, the way we live as Christians, the way most Christians live in this country, displays a very similar faithlessness, a very similar sense of despair. We might be cool with the doctrine I'm sharing, right? We might profess that we are stewards, that everything belongs to God, but we act, we act like God doesn't really care, that he doesn't really see, 
that he doesn't care about the resources that he has given us, and he doesn't plan to ever come and take an account. And if you read this book, if you read Genesis, just a couple chapters past this, you'll realize that the instinct to live like a king instead of a steward is not a new one. The instinct to, to climb up onto that throne and try to sit there yourself is something that has been going on since the very earliest moments in creation. Just here in Genesis chapter 3, we see that early on, Adam and Eve decided to seek their own sovereignty. Scripture tells us that they wanted to be like God. And ever since then, ever since the moment of their first sin, that very same thought has been constantly in your heart and mind. And you keep reading the story. Genesis chapter 4. You see that they have children. And their first child, it says, Cain kills his brother Abel. And as he is cast out, the first thing that he does is he goes off and he builds his own city. Rather than building the city of God, he builds this evil city of man. Dictated by his own desires and his own glory. And you know, we're just like him. We are building our own cities. We act like we're kings and not stewards. We have lost our sense of a greater mission. And we're living on mission for ourselves. The author, one author I read this week, he compared people to, to FedEx drivers. He said, we're, we're like FedEx drivers who, who have been given these packages to, to deliver. We've been given gifts by God to distribute for his kingdom purposes. But instead, we just open them all and keep them for ourselves. We have done that, right? We have received God's good gifts. We have received his things and we've said, these are mine. God has given us time and we say, it's mine. God has given us skills, each of us. He's given us unique abilities and talents. And we look at those things and we say, these are mine. And he's given us money. And we look at it and we say, this is mine. And look, I understand this. I, I, I recognize that, that when I speak of time and talent and, and treasure to our congregation. I'm not speaking of resources that we feel like we have a lot of, right? We, some of us, we're, we feel like we're just barely making it. For me to, to make, any, make you feel like you've got to give more of those things away, I know that that puts a lot of pressure on you. Some of us, we're, we're struggling. But I, I'm telling you this because that tendency to say, mine, it impacts all of us, regardless of how much we have. And in my experience, it's when things are tight, when resources are scarce, that we are most likely to feel that way. That's the point in time when we don't think we have enough, when we are most likely to, to cling tightly to what we have and try to rule over those things that God has given us. But here's the crazy thing. Genesis is telling us here that it is impossible for us to rule because we aren't really kings. 
It is impossible for us to rule because we aren't really kings. We are all stewards. And so we might say, mine. But we can never truly own anything. Do you know that? In fact, it's the opposite. Whatever that thing is in your life that you cling to so closely... Whatever that thing is in your life that you feel like, I cannot possibly sacrifice this. I cannot possibly give any more of this away. You realize you don't control that, right? That thing controls you. You think you're controlling the resource, but the resource is really controlling you. You see, we we think that our choice is between sitting down here as a steward or climbing up there as a king. But the real choice is between being a steward or being a slave. We are made to be stewards. We are made to distribute the good gifts that God has given us. But if we do not serve Him, we will always be serving something. And if we serve anything other than God, whatever that may be, it will surely destroy us. That's the challenge of stewardship. But there's also a freedom that comes with it, and that's, that's what I want us to talk about now. It might sound burdensome for me to, to bring this up. It may seem like a burden to think that, that God claims ownership, has a right to your time, that he has a right to your talents, that he has a right to your belongings. But you know, I've been, like I said earlier, I've been really encouraged reading this this week. Because I have been reminded that I am a big sinner when it comes to stewardship. I am someone who is easily controlled by money. And I hate to admit it, I really don't want to stand up here and say that that's true. But as I have thought about this this week, I have to admit that having money makes me feel a lot safer than it should. And not having enough money makes me feel a lot more anxious and a lot more fearful than it should. I am easily controlled by time. I'm easily controlled by my own agenda. I make plans. And they're my plans. And when they get interrupted, I'm unhappy. I get burdened by unexpected things. I truly fall into that trap all the time of thinking my time is my own. It doesn't belong to anyone else. I am often ruled by the things that I call mine. And I'm sure that you are too. But here's the good, encouraging thing. This is usually the point in the sermon where we encounter this sin problem and it's so deeply tied into everything that it seems like there's no cure and you start to feel hopeless and bogged down. But that's not the case here. Folks, I've got good news for you. There is a very easy remedy to this sin problem. It's not very complicated. And that's why I was encouraged. You see, the easiest way To free yourself from the tyranny of time and talent and treasure is to remember that they are not yours to hoard, 
but God's blessing to give. The way to get free from this is to be generous. That's why we do it every single week when we worship together. That's why we take up our tithes. It is the moment when we force ourselves to to pull out our wallets or, or send it in online or whatever and say, this money does not own me. Do you realize when you give your time, when you give your money, when you give away your valuable skills, every time it is an act of war against your idols. It is the way we say, I do not belong to you, I belong to God. These gifts don't belong to me. They have been given for me to steward. I don't have them for my own purposes. I have them for his. And maybe that sounds crazy to you. I don't know. If it does sound crazy, if it sounds offensive, if you're sitting here saying, well, of course he wants me to believe this, right? Maybe you're questioning my motives. Let me say again, I don't want your money. You can give your money to some other church. That's fine. But give it. I want your freedom. I want you to recognize that God is inviting you today to live for the heavenly city that he's building. The one that's going to last forever. And not to be enslaved to this earthly treasure that will surely crumble, that will fade, that you cannot take with you. But I, I know you're not going to do it. Because I'm just like you. I am easily enslaved. I really like the idea. I'm sure you hear it. You like the idea. It's, it's a great idea to give generously. But in practice, it's very hard. I love the idea of giving of my time and giving of my talents until... I'm tired and overbooked. And then I don't like it so much. Then I think I can't possibly give this. I like the idea of giving away my money sacrificially until I realize that that sacrificial means I actually have to sacrifice something. (laughs) That I've got to give up something I wanted to have. Then it's my money, not God's. I couldn't possibly let that thing go. I want to say, if you feel that same way, again, the message is, in those moments, those things have a grip on you. You don't have a grip on them. When you're holding stuff so closely, those things have a grip on you. But you're not going to do this just by force of argument, and neither will I. Only the Holy Spirit can turn slaves into stewards. That's the message of the gospel. Only when we encounter the power of God working through the story of the gospel in our lives, only then, only when we recognize that God is not asking anything from you that he hasn't already given to you a hundredfold. You see, that's the story we just read. Did you hear it? We were all stewards and we claimed control of the world. But instead of crushing us for our rebellion, the true king, Jesus Christ, the true ruler, became a servant. What Steve read earlier, 
that though he was rich, he became poor. He surrendered his life to free us from what enslaved us. He died for your sin. He died for your worship of temporary, crumbling things so that we could inherit eternal riches. That's the gospel. Do you recognize that the grace of God in the death of Jesus Christ is the most amazing act of radical generosity that the universe has ever seen? And you are the recipient of that. And when you see Jesus, when his spirit makes you realize that his kingdom is the only one that matters, then your kingdom, then your little city that you're trying to build will suddenly start to fade. And so I want to challenge you as we close out to to consider that today. If you've never known Jesus, if you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, maybe this is a weird sermon to start out with, I don't know. But I think you need to ask yourself this question. Who rules you? And whether you're a Christian or not, I want to ask you to take some time right now, right at the end of this sermon, to, to look and think about the resources God has given you. And I want you to honestly ask yourself the question, am I a steward? Or am I a slave? If there is anything that has a grip on your life today, I want to invite you right now to, to, before you come to this table, confess it to God. Ask Him to take it away from you. Ask Him to give you the freedom to give it away for Him. I want to invite everybody in this room to come up here to this table and be set free. Join with me in prayer. Father, I'm grateful for this message of, of stewardship. There's good news here. It's good news to know that, that I don't need to be worried about your provision for me. You've given me everything I have. You've given all of us everything we have. And the, the, the thought that we are in control of it is all an illusion. And Lord, I want to pray that you would change our relationship with our things. That you would change our relationship with our physical things, but also with those intangible things. With our, with our schedules. With our talents. With the way that we live our lives. I pray, God, that we would become people who are blessing the world more than we are trying to bless ourselves. Father, we pray that you would work this in us and in our hearts. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.